welcome to the Empower Church podcast. My name is Matt Garner, and I'm the pastor at Empower Church here in Melbourne, Australia. We're so glad you've joined us today, and I am believing that today's message is not only going to inspire you and encourage you, but it's going to empower, equip, and challenge you to be everything that God has called you to be. Hey, if you want more information about what we're up to at Empower Church, just jump on our website, empowerchurch.co, and all the details are there. We really hope that you enjoy the message. All right. Well, um, Matt has been taking us through a, a bit of a lesson of identity these last few weeks. If you've been around in the last two or three weeks, he's been taking us through these lessons of identity, and he's been teaching from Hebrews and Romans, and really bringing clarity to our identity in Christ. Okay, because the greater understanding we have of our identity in Christ and the greater maturity we can live in as Christians. All right, so part one, if you remember, is when he brought out all those big words like expiation, propitiation, reconciliation, all these big words. But I'll recap what they mean. He said, he taught us that Jesus died for the removal of sin and guilt. Okay, he died for the removal of God's wrath. He died for the removal of our alienation from God. He died for redemption from the curse of the law. And he died to defeat the powers of darkness. Did I do that all right? We recapped it well? Yeah, good. So he taught us what Jesus actually achieved on the cross. And that is what he achieved, right? So why is this important? Because it tells us what is the finished work that we live out of today. And if we don't have a revelation of what he achieved on the cross, then we will be stuck in this infant state of our spiritual growth. But there are deeper things that God is calling us into, right? Mysteries of God that he's calling us into that he wants to bring us into, but we'll never get into if we're still stuck in this kind of, you know, fundamentals of our identity. If we have an identity crisis, then how can we go into the deeper things of God? So that was part one. Part two, he taught us that we are positioned as saints, So we aren't just sinners saved by grace. We were sinners and we are saved by grace, but now we are positioned as saints. And when we come before God, we have been justified because Jesus came as the sacrifice once and for all. So we stand justified before God, which means, if you remember, it is just as if I had never sinned. So when you stand before God, he doesn't see your sin. The memory of sin has been completely blotted out And your previous status of sinner actually doesn't come into the equation because we have been saved and now we are justified and we stand in this position of saint as if we had never sinned, okay? And that's important because it opens the door to run closer in intimacy to the Father, right? We don't come before him with our sin attached to us and then we come and we say, yeah, I'm I'm covered by the grace, but I still feel this shame and condemnation. No, the sin is completely removed And the door is open for us to run in intimacy towards him and leave behind the sinful nature. Okay, so that's kind of where he's been taking us in identity. I'm going to unofficially hijack his series. He doesn't know this, but take part three, all right? We'll just give you part three today on identity, all right? Because um, I felt God put this message in my heart, you know, weeks before he even started. And it just flows so beautifully into what he's talking about in Hebrews as well. So we'll see how that all ties in in the end. But... Anyway, today I want to talk about a fountain opened, all right? You can write that down if you're taking notes. A fountain opened. So there is a fountain opened up of mercy and grace which flows right out of the side of Jesus. Okay, this fountain is of blood and water. I want you to remember those two things, blood and water, because we'll be saying them a lot. And when you come to the cross and you stand under the side of Jesus, this endless fountain of blood and water or mercy and grace pours over you and washes over you. Okay, so if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Zechariah chapter 13. Now, there's going to be a little bit of scripture today. I absolutely swamped Mim with slides. Um, But I want you to engage with the word today because otherwise... You know, have, have the word out in some format, in a phone or a Bible, but if all you do is just look at the screen and don't do anything and take notes, I promise two hours from now you'll be thinking of lunch and this will all just go over your head. So engage with the word, um, underline what Holy Spirit's pointing out, and then we can digest this throughout the week, okay? So 
Uh, Zechariah chapter 13, verse 1, it says, In that day a fountain will be opened for the house of David and for the inhabitants of Jerusalem to cleanse them from sin and impurity. Okay, so what is a fountain? A fountain is a stream or a, a torrent or a supply of usually water in some way. It could be a chocolate fountain. That's not this today. Okay, it is a fountain usually of water. And it says in this prophetic word from Zechariah that a fountain will be opened. Who for? For the house of David and for the inhabitants of Jerusalem. So the good news is when you see that in the Bible, that is a promise for us. We are grafted into the people, the chosen people of God, all right? The city of God, the house of David, and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, we have been grafted into that. So this is talking about a fountain open for the people of God, and what for? For the cleansing of sin and for impurity. Does that make sense? We're there. Cool. Let's take that, and we're going to go to John chapter 19. Very quiet. John 19, are you there? Are you awake? Yep, cool. All right, John chapter 19, and we'll go from verse 32. So this is talking of Jesus on the cross. We've just seen that there is a fountain that will be opened for the cleansing of sin and impurity. So John 19, 32 says, The soldiers therefore came and broke the legs of the first man and of the other man who was crucified with him. But coming to Jesus, when they saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and immediately there came out blood and water. Okay, some versions say bringing a sudden flow of blood and water. One could say a fountain of blood and water. So there's a fountain that's been opened for the cleansing of sin and impurity. Then in John, we see Jesus on the cross, and his side is pierced open, and out comes blood and water. Now, John was the only one of the gospel writers that actually recorded this event taking place. I don't know if it was because he stayed to the very end of the crucifixion and he witnessed this take place, but for whatever reason, he thought it noteworthy enough to write down and record that out of the side of Jesus came blood and water. But I think he saw something prophetic in that, that he wrote down and, and thought to himself, I have to, I have to come back to this. There's something in that that took place. But understand... They didn't know the mysteries of Jesus yet. They hadn't been revealed. That wasn't until after the resurrection when their understanding was enlightened and they understood how he fulfilled all the prophecies. But he saw something prophetic in this act of blood and water coming out of the open side of Jesus. So an open fountain in Zechariah, an open side of Jesus with blood and water coming out. Let's go now to 1 John chapter 5. And this will be kind of the meat of where we're looking at today, all right? So 1 John chapter 5, and we'll go from verse 5. Now, this is the same John who witnessed the events, only this is years later when he wrote this book. So when he was at the cross, that was prior to the revelation of Jesus. Now he's writing this, and he's probably thinking back to that moment. But from verse 5, it says, And who is the one who overcomes the world? but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. This is the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, not with the water only, but with the water and with the blood. And it is the Spirit who bears witness, because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that bear witness, the Spirit and the water and the blood. Okay, so we're, remember, we're thinking of blood and water. Now we have an added element in, the Spirit. All right. This can be a, a little bit of a confusing passage because we go, okay, he came by water and blood. What does that, what does that really mean? Well, we're going to break it down and we're going to look at this further. Okay, so John is teaching us that Jesus came by the water and the blood. And then the Spirit of God who bears witness with these, so where the blood and the water are, the Spirit bears witness to them and they point all point towards Jesus. Jesus being this fountain of mercy and grace, okay? So the water, the blood, and the Spirit all testify of Jesus. So let's look at what the water means first. So if water isn't talking about drinking, it's usually talking about washing. And that's what the context is in this. Water is here a symbol of washing or of purification. And John is referring to the, the washing waters of baptism, all right? So 
the waters that wash our inward defilement, this inner cleansing of our spirit that takes place. Okay, for example, in Titus 3, Paul writes that God saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the spirit. So the waters that we enter into, that fountain of mercy and grace, washes our inner man and our inward defilement so that the shame and condemnation of sin can be washed away and then the spirit can come in and take up residence inside of us and dwell in his temple that has now been cleansed and he begins that work of regeneration that takes us to the new man, okay? And our old man, is our sinful nature is left behind because the Holy Spirit is working us into the new creation. So the waters of baptism wash us, right? And John is saying Jesus came by water. He physically went into the waters of baptism. Not that he needed cleaning, cleansing, because remember, he's sinless, right? But because he wanted to completely identify with sinful nature, he went in and got baptized as an example that from him come these washing waters of baptism, okay? They wash our inward defilement. All right, so John is teaching Jesus came by those washing waters. And then the next one, Jesus came by blood. So this is referring to the sacrificial blood of the cross. And this is always symbolic of our cleansing of our like outer defilement. Because the way we stand before God, remember when we're sinners, is um, blemished and stained and in filthy garments. That's what our sin appears to God. But when we are cleansed by the blood of the cross, which atones for our sin, it washes those garments pure white. It takes away those blemishes. And so now we stand, again, justified as if we'd never sinned. So Jesus came by the sacrificial blood, the ultimate sacrifice once and for all, so that we could stand under that fountain of blood that comes from his side and be washed in this fountain of mercy, okay, and be cleansed and purified before God. So it is these things by which Jesus came, and it is these two fountains which now come from the side of Jesus, all right? So this is the process of salvation. We are washed by the waters, okay, for our inward defilement, and our thoughts are renewed, and our, our motives and intentions are, are changed. And then by the blood we are purified in our outer defilement, okay? And when the, where these two are, the Holy Spirit comes and seals it with his anointing, okay? The Spirit is in agreement to these things, saying, you have been saved by mercy and grace, by blood and water from Jesus. I'm coming and sealing it with my agreement, and I'm anointing you, okay? And that's when he begins the work of regeneration. So water, blood, and Spirit. Does that all make sense? Are we there? Cool. All right. So you will always see the water, the blood, and the Spirit testifying of Jesus throughout Scripture, pointing towards him and saying, this is our mercy and grace. This is why we have salvation. This is why we get communion with the Father, because the, Jesus has come by the washing waters and the purifying blood and the anointing spirit, okay? So we're going to take a look through Scripture at how deeply woven this is into the narrative of the Bible, because I want you to see just how much God cares about this and how he was revealing this from the very beginning, all right? So, Let's go to Exodus chapter 14, all the way backwards. Exodus 14, we are, we're going to look at three water-based miracles, and I like that because we're talking about fountains, and we establish fountains are usually water, and now we're going to look at these three kind of back-to-back miracles that take place, and they're all revolve around water, um, but we're picking up the story in a very integral part of the Israelites' journey and their history. Okay, so where they are in chapter 14, they have just come out of Egypt. They're literally fleeing the Egyptian army and they're standing at the waters of the Red Sea. And there's some very significant things that take place. But to understand the significance of them, you have to know what Egypt represents. So we're going back to Sunday school. All right, Egypt is a picture of our sin and defilement, okay? Egypt is a picture of sin and death. Our spiritual bondage and our spiritual slavery, that's where the Egyptians were living in, okay? They were living in this state of spiritual sin and death, right? So Egypt represents that sin and death. The promised land where he's taking them to is that picture of 
new life, that spiritual life that God gives to them, where they get to dwell in communion with their God, where he is amongst his people, where they get his personal favor and protection and provision. All right, so he's taking them on this journey from spiritual sin and death, where they were literally under oppression by the Egyptians. He's taking them from there, and he's taking them to the promised land. But there is this journey in between that God gets to use as the opportunity to actually reveal aspects of himself to the Israelites. Because up until now, the Israelites don't really know their God. Like, they know that he's the God of their fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And that's all well and good, but they've just been in slavery for 400 years, and they're crying out to their God who doesn't seem to be answering. And now, all of a sudden, he's come through this strange man, Moses, and he's pouring out his wrath on the Egyptians, and now they're following this God into the wilderness, and they don't really know who God is. But this journey in between Egypt and the Promised Land is the opportunity God gets to actually reveal aspects of himself. So he's very intentional about what takes place in these miracles, all right? So we're looking at that first water-based miracle right now in chapter 14. It's the crossing of the Red Sea. So if we pick up in verse 16, it says, And as for you, lift up your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it. And the sons of Israel shall go through the midst of the sea on dry land. And then if we go to verse 21, it says, Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord swept the sea back by a strong east wind all night and turned the sea into dry land, so the waters were divided. And the sons of Israel went through the midst of the sea on the dry land, and the waters were like a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. Now, the reason why I've come all the way back to Exodus is because I'm proposing to you that this was the moment that God first started to reveal the water the blood and the spirit. Remember, that's what we're thinking of. And there's probably there's instances where he has done it prior to this, but this is where he's teaching the Israelites something of himself, right? And we know from 1 John, the water and the blood and the spirit testify of Jesus. So that's what we're looking at now, okay? So um, they've, they've just crossed through the Red Sea. So the Red Sea is a type of salvation. In the literal sense, they crossed over dry land between two walls of water on either side. But in God's eyes, passing through the Red Sea was much more of a spiritual significance. And how do we know? We know in 1 Corinthians 10 verse 2, it says this, Paul is writing about this, For I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors were all under the cloud and they all passed through the sea. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. So the Red Sea is the place where God first, he's just taken them out of Egypt, their spiritual sin and death, and he's taken them to the Red Sea. And this is where he first says, because of your state of sin and death, to get you to the promised land, I have to wash you by these waters of regeneration. Remember what the waters represent, a washing. And so the Red Sea, as they passed through the waters, was this spiritual washing that was taking place that God was doing to them. They didn't know it at the time, or maybe they did, I don't know. They might have felt something. But as they passed through, God was taking that sin and death that was their inward defilement and he was washing it clean because he was preparing them for where they were going to go to the promised land. But he couldn't just snap his fingers and take them there because they still have that sin and death and unholiness in them, right? So he is washing them by these waters of baptism in the Red Sea. And if you think of, think of like leprosy in the Bible, there was a very strict process of purification for anyone who had leprosy. They called it the dead man's disease. All right, think of Naaman who Elisha said, go into the river, wash seven times in the water, right? Leprosy was this dead man's disease and anyone who came into contact with a dead person, they were unholy and defiled. If they had leprosy, they were essentially the walking dead. And the process to prove your cleansing was to wash and go through the strict process of washing, okay? And so God was taking them from their dead state, passing them through the Red Sea where they got this washing of water. Okay, so what are our elements? Water, blood, and spirit. So the Red Sea is that picture of God washing them in the water, taking them to the promised land. So that's water. Let's go to the very next chapter, Exodus 15. 
It's our second water-based miracle. All right, the Israelites have crossed through the Red Sea. They've been washed by those waters. Now they're three days into their journey and they are thirsty. They've run out of their rations of water. And we can pick up the story in verse 22. It says, Moses led Israel from the Red Sea and they went out into the wilderness of Shur. And they went three days into the wilderness and found no water. And when they came to Marah, they could not drink the waters for they were bitter. Therefore, it was named Marah. So the people grumbled at Moses saying, what shall we drink? Then he cried out to the Lord and the Lord showed him a tree and he threw it into the waters and the waters became sweet. There he made for them a statute and regulation and there he tested them. And he said, if you will give earnest heed to the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his sight and give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you which I have put on the Egyptians, for I, the Lord, am your healer. All right, so we have the waters of washing in the Red Sea. We come now to the waters of Marah, and this is where I believe he shows them the symbolic power of the blood, okay? So... He is taking them to these waters to show them something about themselves and at the same time reveal an aspect of him. And this is where we first get the name, the Lord, your healer, Jehovah Rapha, okay? But before we get into breaking it down, the very same miracle or a very similar miracle happened in 2 Kings when Elisha the prophet went through, he was passing through the city of Jericho. And Jericho was a city that when they walked around the walls, the walls came down. It was a cursed city because God said, anyone who rebuilds these walls and rebuilds the city will be cursed and their children will be cursed. Okay? But it it says in 2 Kings, I'll read it out to you, that the men of the city said to Elisha, please note, our Lord, that the city's location is good as you can see, but the water is bad and the land is unfruitful. Bring me a new bowl, he replied, and put some salt in it. So they brought it to him, and Elisha went out to the spring, cast the salt into it, and said, This is what the Lord says. I have healed this water. No longer will it cause death or unfruitfulness. Okay? So understand that the water was their life source. It watered the crops. It watered the livestock. It watered the city for the people to drink. But God was saying there is death in these waters. It was a cursed city because the Israelites don't listen and they rebuilt the city. So there was a curse on it and everything was unfruitful and dying. And God healed those waters and says, no longer will it cause death or unfruitfulness. So if we take the information from there, you can see how coming back to the waters of Marah, that God was revealing something about the state of their spiritual condition. There was bitterness in those waters and God was saying to them, there is that bitterness from sin and death in the spiritual waters of your life. Okay, Proverbs 4.23, it says, guard your heart above all else for it is from your heart which flow the springs of life. Okay, so God was revealing to them that you have come from Egypt, this place of sin and death, and there is still this bitterness of sin and death in the waters of your life. And if you continue on without me healing them, you are going to lead to that path of death. So I have a way to heal those waters, heal that bitterness of the sin and death inside of you. And how does he do it? Okay, well, first of all, the definition of the word healer in this context is actually to restore. So he was restoring those bitter waters back to their pure state. And how did he do it? He did it through showing Moses a tree to cast into the waters. And what do we know the tree represents? Anyone who is hung on a tree is cursed. And who hung on the tree? Jesus. So God was saying to heal that spiritual death inside of you, the bitterness of sin and death inside of you, I have a way to heal it. And it is through my son who is hung on this tree. And the blood that has poured down that cross... I am going to cast into those waters to heal your spiritual condition, okay? And we know in Isaiah it says this, that he was pierced for our transgressions, so Jesus was pierced for our transgressions in the hands and in the side. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his stripes, by his bleeding wounds, we are healed. So if God is revealing himself as healer, and we know we are healed by the bleeding wounds of Jesus, 
And Jesus was on that tree that was cursed. And God showed Moses, there is this tree that I'm casting into the waters. Yes, he was saying, I will heal you from your diseases and your infirmities. But deeper than that, he was saying, I'm healing that spiritual state of your heart through my son who was on the cross. That bleeding cross is in those waters. So we have the waters of washing in the Red Sea. We have the blood of the cross that heals their spiritual bitterness and death, right? So now we have one more. What is it? It's the spirit. Okay, so let's go right over to Exodus 17. We're going to skip Exodus 16 because just know that it's a Jesus sandwich here. It is the bread from heaven, the manna, which is the bread of life, okay? So it's Jesus in all these chapters that God is revealing. But Chapter 17, it's our third water-based miracle, and it is the water from the rock. We have the washing waters of the Red Sea. We have the blood of the cross that heals the waters of Marah. Now we come to the water from the rock. So um, verse 6, the Israelites are thirsty again. They've run out of water. You'd think they would learn their lesson. But again, God is revealing something of himself to the Israelites before he gets them to the promised land. It says in verse 6, Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and water will come out of it that the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. So the image of Moses striking the rock is the image of God smiting his son, Jesus, all right? That same verse we read about them passing through the waters of the Red Sea and being baptized, 1 Corinthians 10, the very next verse in verse 3 says, they all ate of the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. So we know the rock is Christ, and we know it's an image of, as Moses strikes that rock, that Isaiah 53 is where this comes into play again. In verse 10, it says, yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and to cause him to suffer. It was, the God, it was God's pleasure to strike his son because he knew that when he struck his son, that fountain of life would be opened up. Okay, our fountain opened, remember, of mercy and grace. And the image of Moses striking the rock was God smiting his own son. And the rivers of life came out. Jesus said in John 7, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this he meant the spirit whom those who believed in him were later to receive. So we have this picture between Egypt, which is spiritual sin and death, and the promised land, which is spiritual life. This journey takes place where God is revealing the way that he is going to take them from that state. Okay, the waters that wash them, the blood which heals their inner def- their, their sin and their um, bitterness of death, and then the rivers of his spirit are opened up at the rock. So it's the water, the blood, and the spirit that's all pointing and testifying to Jesus. And God is saying and showing them, the only way I can take you from spiritual sin and death to spiritual life is through my son, Jesus. Okay, and they all testify of Jesus being there. This is how deeply woven in mercy and grace is into the Bible. You can see it the whole way through. But if this is the way that God revealed Jesus, then I want you to think quickly of what was Jesus' first way that he revealed himself publicly? What was the first miracle he did? It was turning water into wine, yet another water-based miracle, right? The very first opportunity Jesus takes to reveal something of himself is through the same elements. Okay, if we break it down, we have, in fact, I'll read it out in John 2 verse 6. It says, Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing. Okay, there's that water again that is washing us. Each holding from 20 to 30 gallons, Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water so they filled them to the brim. Okay, so... Breaking it down, what are our elements? Water, blood, and spirit. Look at the elements of this miracle. Jesus is taking literal water used for ceremonial washing. It's right in front of our eyes. And then he, we know the story. He sends it to the head waiter. They draw it out and they taste it, and it's been turned into wine. And what does wine represent in the Bible? Two things, 
blood and the spirit. Because Jesus said to his disciples, this wine you drink, this is my blood. But then we also know that the new wine to come that would be poured out in the latter days, Joel 2, the day of Pentecost, new wine came and the spirit was released onto all mankind. So Jesus took his first miracle to show that the waters of washing are good and I am taking them, but also I am using my blood to cleanse and purify the rest of your defilement. And on top of that, the Spirit is going to be in agreement with these and he's going to come and he's going to anoint that washing that has take place, taken place. The water, the blood, and the Spirit. Okay? So we understand, hopefully, I hope you understand that, what these water, blood, and spirit represent, yeah? How do we actually apply this then? What, what use is it to us today? Well, it all culminates in Leviticus chapter 8. And it's a lengthy chapter, but it's so critical because this is where everything culminates, all right? The water, the blood, and the spirit. We know they testify of Jesus. We know he came by these things. So what is the application? This is where Moses consecrates Aaron and his sons as priests. Okay, he's received this direct instruction from God for the process of how to consecrate the priests. Now, what does consecration means mean? It means to it's the act of making something holy. And what was the priest's role? The role of the priest was to enter into a place that was once forbidden. The priest would enter into where it was forbidden for all other men to go. But the only way to enter into this forbidden place is to be consecrated and made holy. Okay, they entered into the tabernacle, the, the presence of God himself to minister before God on behalf of the people. Right? And so this chapter is about how they were consecrated and made holy to enter in. So I've just summarized Leviticus 8. I brought all the key verses and put them together. So that's why it goes from 5 to 23 and 30. All right? But it's all in Leviticus 8 if you want to read the whole, the whole process. But this is specifically what was done to Aaron the priest and his sons. So let's read it. From verse 5, it says, And Moses said to the congregation, This is the thing that the Lord has commanded to be done. And Moses brought Aaron and his sons and washed them with water. Then he poured some of the anointing oil on Aaron's head and anointed him to consecrate him. The oil represents the anointing oil of the Spirit. Okay? And Moses killed the ram and took some of its blood and put it on the lobe of Aaron's right ear and on the thumb of his right hand and on the big toe of his right foot. Then Moses took some of the anointing oil and of the blood that was on the altar and sprinkled it on Aaron and his garments and also on his sons and his sons' garments. So he consecrated Aaron and his sons with him. So this washing of water, this purifying by the blood and the anointing of the oil represents gained access to a place once forbidden. What do these three things testify of? It testifies of Jesus. So Jesus who came by the water and the blood and then the spirit which is in agreement with them, it is by him that we have gained access to the presence of God. And it is only by these three things, the washing waters, the purifying blood and the anointing oil. This is our salvation. This is the consecration process to enter into God's process. And this is what Jesus has done for us. Now, do you remember what Matt has been teaching from? Hebrews 10. This will be our last passage, I promise you, because I've given you so much scripture. But turn there, lastly, Hebrews chapter 10. This is what he's been preaching from the last couple of weeks. All right, Hebrews 10, verse 19. Okay, we're going to go from 19 now. It's all in here anyway, so look through it and you'll see everything I'm talking about. But Hebrews 10, verse 19. Since therefore, brethren, we have confidence to enter the holy place, that place which was forbidden, 
confidence to enter by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened up for us, a fountain opened in Zechariah 13, opened up for us through the veil that is his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled by what? By blood and oil to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. So we see it all in application, the water, the blood, and the spirit. And it is this that makes Jesus, who has come by these things, our great priest, who has done this consecration process to us in the same way Moses did to Aaron back in the day where only one man could enter in. The same thing has been done to us by the washing water, the purifying blood, and the anointing of the Spirit. So do you see, do you see it yet? Do you see this fountain of blood and water? Do you see this fountain of mercy and grace? It is this fountain that is unaffected by drought. No matter your spiritual state, no matter if you're in Egypt or the wilderness, there is no place that this fountain does not go. His supply is endless. His capacity is limitless. And therefore, God's mercy and grace is infinite for you. And there is no state of being that this fountain does not reach, no matter how far gone you think you are, no matter how many times you keep thinking you've failed in that sin or keep doing the same thing that you don't want to do, the fountain of mercy and grace goes so much further. And there is so much mercy and grace for you to enter into the presence of God into the throne room of God. You can go up, Matt. But I wanted to, I wanted a revelation of this mercy and grace because we hear these terms thrown around so much, mercy and grace, but what do they truly mean? Hopefully today's message can paint a bit more of a picture, but I was asking Holy Spirit, I need a revelation of this because I hear these terms and I just sometimes... It goes over our head or we get so familiar with them. And I was having time with Holy Spirit and I just let him show me this picture. And he took me to this this moment. It was this moment where I had sinned and and I knew it. It wasn't just one of those times where you sin and you go, ah, get back up, go again, you know, brush it off. You're you know, you're a saint, yay. No, it was one of those times where it's like you've sinned and because you knew not to and you you knew better and yet you still sinned anyway, it carried so much more of that sting of shame. All right, can we be real? Has anyone been there where you've done this sin and it's like I knew not to do it. I was in the presence of God and now I've turned right to my sin and you just feel that shame. And it's not that you don't know that you're covered by the blood of Jesus, right? You know you are, but it makes you come before God and kind of, you know, you don't want to be seen by Him because you feel bad because you've sinned anyway, right? So Holy Spirit took me to this moment where I had sinned and I knew it and I knew I stuffed up and I just felt that shame. But He took me to this picture where I was standing in like the throne room of God, okay? I was in this big courtroom and God was on the throne up ahead. He was kind of at a distance. He was judging from afar almost. And I was there in the middle of this courtroom and I just felt so small and on display and vulnerable and exposed before God. It felt like there were angels on either side just kind of looking down at me. And I just felt that... I, the, the funny thing was I was dressed in white in this picture. Okay, so I was literally standing in the throne room dressed in those white garments of purification. And yet it felt like everyone could still see my sinful nature. It felt like God was afar, that He was judging me, that He was looking at me and as though He could see through those white garments and could see the the real nature of who I am, the one that I know who I am. I know I'm a wretch. I know I'm a sinner. And it's like God was peering at me, looking past the white and seeing that sin and defilement. And it just made me feel so vulnerable and exposed. 
And Holy Spirit asked me in this moment, he said, where do you see the Father? And I had to reply that he feels far away. He feels like he's at a distance. I don't feel the warmth. I don't feel the love emanating from him. And Holy Spirit said this to me. He said, you know that that is a lie. You know that that's false. So look again and tell me what you see. And it was just this immediate change. This immediate change where suddenly the Father was holding my face in His hands. And He was gazing into my eyes. And He was like a child where He came down on one knee. And He was holding my face, looking, looking right into my eyes. And He said... Isaac, you are so incredibly loved. You are unconditionally accepted. And all the feeling of shame and sin just vanished as he looked at my true nature. The sin was gone. It was so far away. The memory was blotted out. There was no room for me to even consider my sinful nature and I knew that God only saw this pure, clean, washed Isaac, his child. I was wearing white. I was washed by the blood and yet I had this feeling of like he can see through this but he came so close. He was right in my face and his tender hands were holding my face and he just looked at my eyes with love. And he said, you are unconditionally accepted. You are incredibly loved. And that is this revelation of mercy and grace. You are washed clean. You are purified. And the only response for us is to come close to the Father in intimacy. It's not an invitation to stand back and to hold him at arm's length because you think he's doing that to you. It's this invitation to say, I know my identity now. I know my identity is a saint, not a sinner. And so I am coming close to the Father because he is so close to you. And so that's why I want to take communion now from this place of understanding mercy and grace. It's this fountain of blood and water that is in such endless supply for us this fountain that will never run dry it's unaffected by drought as I said there is no state that you can be in that this fountain won't reach to you it's this blood that we hold in our hands that has purified us along with the washing waters. This is why we get baptised because that washing takes place in our inward man. But it's the blood of Christ that covers every impurity and every imperfection. Where do you get this fountain of blood and water, this fountain of mercy and grace? You come to the cross and you stand right next to the side of Jesus, which is open. The side of Jesus, which is pouring out blood and water for you. I need you to open this for me. (laughs) But can we just take a few minutes to picture this image, picture Jesus on the cross and his side that is opened up with a fountain of blood and water pouring out. And I don't know where you are at. I don't know if this resonates with you. I don't know if you've struggled this week, but know that this side of Jesus is open for you to come close to. Can we just stand and just honour this communion that we're about to take? I don't care what what sin you've done. 
what you've stuffed up in. This, this blood in this cup is straight from the side of Jesus, which has been opened up for the cleansing of our sin and impurity. So when you drink this, it's an act of remembrance of what He has done. So remind yourself, remind your spirit what is happening when we take this blood. Picture yourself washed in white garments, purified before God. This crimson blood makes us white as snow. Whatever is holding you back from drawing close to the Father, then let it be washed away by this blood as you take it. Remember the cross. Remember Jesus who has consecrated us to enter in boldly to the Father. Just take a couple minutes to let this minister to you. Be with the Father in this moment. Thank you, Jesus, for your blood, your precious blood. close to Him. He is not angry at you. He is not disappointed with you. You are a consecrated priest that enters into His throne room and He is running as quickly towards you as you are to Him. Jesus, we thank you for this precious blood that you have poured out for us, the open fountain for our cleansing, for our defilement. Lord, we drink this blood from your side and we are confident that it has washed us once and for all. Just take that blood now. Sorry, I did it the wrong way around. I gotta get the blood before the bread. <laughs> but now let's take that bread, which represents his body. The bread of life, broken apart. Jesus' body, that was God's pleasure, his will to crush his son, to break him open to break open His Son so that the Spirit of life could come out. It is this broken body that we are saved by, this blood, the water, the bread, all of it testifies of our salvation. He is your healer. He is Jehovah Rapha. He has healed our inner infirmities. He has healed our inner defilement, those bitter waters of sin and death. He is taken by His broken body and He's taken us into new life. And if you have physical needs and need physical healing, then take this, this wafer, this bread and understand that it is the promise that you are healed. It could be on earth, it could be not until heaven, but we praise God and we thank God that His body has bought us and purchased us that healing. God is our healer. Lord, we lift up your body. We just thank you, God, that you were pleased to break open Jesus. And Jesus, you so willingly went to the cross to be struck by your own Father for our sake. Thank you, Jesus. If you haven't taken it already, you can take it now. Can we just worship for a few minutes? And if you need to come to the cross, just do it. It's an open invitation. Let's just worship the Father and the Son and the Spirit. Because your grace has thank you, Jesus. The miracle.
call is found in what you've done My fear is gone The old is passed away And all my sin is gone He's risen from the grave And all my shame is gone In the power of your name It's in the power of your name I will never be the same And hallelujah
I'm healed, restored, made right with God because you're alive. <laughs> I don't need to strive anymore, need to work anymore. You made me right, and now I can come boldly to your throne so here I am I'm justified it's justified never sin that's how the Father sees me now so I thank you Lord that when the blood and water flowed I was made free I was made Dismiss the service now. Coffee's going to be running. Have fun. It's a lovely afternoon. But if you want to keep worshipping, one of the things that we're just wanting to do is just keep this space just open and free for you to, to worship for a few more moments and just really press in. Um, parents, if you've got kids, you can go get them from eKids. But um, we're just going to worship for a few minutes longer. All the details are out there in the foyer. Giving, coffees on us, do all that sort of stuff. But thanks so much for making the effort to be here this morning. I know it wasn't easy for some. So just really, whoops, really um, <laughs> appreciate you doing that. And uh, just for, oh, you can go. But Gavin, I want to just invite you to come out, mate. We want to pray for you. You know, Gavin's going away for a month on a missions trip. And um, maybe we can just get some of, some of the church family around and just lay hands on him and pray for him so that he goes off. Bless, let's do that. My fear is gone The old is passed away And all my sin is gone Risen from the grave My shame is gone Power of your name is in the power So hallelujah, hallelujah. Oh, we thank you, Jesus. He's alive.
I want to know you 